Welcome to today's episode of the Doing Good Podcast. We'll talk with Denise Stewart, who shares the realities of living with mental illness. She volunteers by teaching and coordinating others through a mental health nonprofit found nationwide. So, hi, Denise. We're so excited to get to talk with you today. Would you take just a minute and introduce yourself so that the listeners out there can just know a little bit about you and um, you as a volunteer? My name is Denise Stewart. I'm from Detroit, Michigan. I live in Nashville, Tennessee now. I've lived here for 34 years. I've been married for 35 years. Um, My husband and I both work for NAMI, Tennessee. I do it as a volunteer for several reasons. Number one, um, I took a class and it was a class for parents of children with a mental health condition. And I got so much out of it. I said, I have got to be a part of this. And I became a teacher way back when, 18 years ago. And I turned around and started doing things in the office, like folding brochures, put stamps on envelopes and labels on envelopes. My husband at the time held the position I hold now. And when he became deputy director, the volunteer education um, position became open. And a friend of mine, Jack Stewart, he is not related to me, but I still call him grandpa, um, hired me into this position. And uh, because Roger is the deputy director, I can't hold, I can't get paid by NAMI Tennessee. So I took it as a volunteer and that's what I've been doing for eight years. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's terrific. And and to be sure that I understand, um, whenever you say work as, that really means that you're volunteering. That you're right, that you're volunteering, but you kind of view it as work, that that is your service, that that is how you are spending choosing to spend your time in I'll say the same responsible, diligent way that anybody would a workplace. Mm-hmm. I, um, I view it, it is my purpose. I have a mental health condition called schizoaffective disorder that made me very ill years and years ago. I was unable to work full time and I'm still unable to work full time. Um, it causes me to have hallucinations and just it, it made me very ill. I was institutionalized three to four months out of the year. And uh, 20 years ago, I had a physician that found the right medication for me. And ta-da, here I am. But I have to be very careful with my time. And my time has to have a purpose. And I found my purpose. My purpose is to help other people with illness and help family members that need help also. That makes, that's beautiful. And would you tell us not only what does NAMI stand for, but what it is? NAMI stands for the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And it's on three levels. It's on the local level where we have local affiliates. There's 20 of them in Tennessee. It's on the state level. And I'm, I work for the state level, NAMI Tennessee. And it's on the national level, and it's NAMI. I I am dedicated to our cause. And our cause is to help educate, 
support and advocate for those of us with mental illnesses and, and the families. So many times people like me get the care we need and the families are shut out. Oh. Yeah, family members, and I, I hate to say it, when I am not doing well, mm-hmm. my paranoia is towards my husband. And oh, of all people. Of all people. And, you know, we've been married 35 years. And when I went into the hospital, I told the doctors that they couldn't talk to Roger. And then all of a sudden, he's not getting information about me. Or, you know, they don't give people a book that says this is how to handle a person with a mental health condition. No. And so that's where NAMI's place is to help educate family members. And we do support groups for family members also. How important. And now you're talking about family. Does What ages does that include? Um, we have um, family members as young as 16 all the way up until, uh, you know, we have 90-year-old members. I mean, to me, I see that. I'll say as a holistic approach to making sure that the person has the support they have. Is that appropriate? Absolutely. You know, the, the classes are an extension of the support group and the support group is an extension of the classes. It's one and both of them together. We have two classes. One is called family to family and it's appropriately named. It's an eight-session class, and we teach all sorts of things, coping skills, communication skills, self-care, and people say, I can't give eight sessions worth of time. They're two-and-a-half-hour classes. I just can't commit to that, and it's really funny because I get the evals back. They come to me, and the evals say, we need more class time every time. It, it, it's it. People just eat that information up. And that's where the support groups come in because that's where we can say, you need more time, go to the support group. And we talk about the support groups in the classes. And the people in the support groups, vice versa, say, the, you know, they're usually offered once a month in areas. And now with Zoom, they're statewide, so you can just about hit a support group every week. And um, with the support groups, people are saying, I need to know more information about everything you guys are talking about. And we go, we've got a class for that. <laughs> Good. Well, that, that makes sense. That sounds like the services that are needed are being provided and over right. and above the basic. They're the absolutely- class... The class that got me into NAMI was the basics class, and I haven't talked about that yet. That's a class specifically for parents and caregivers of young children and adolescents with mental health conditions. But, you know, I told you both my children have a mental health condition, and we don't get guidebooks for our kids. And, you know, so many times people would say, you know, my kid was always the kid that was misbehaving in church, okay? That's just standard. And people said would say, you need to take a parenting class so you can learn how to handle your child. 
I took three. Didn't work. And when I took the, it wasn't NAMI basics back then. Back then it was um, Visions for Tomorrow. I took that class and all of a sudden I began to understand what was happening. And it, it helped me with issues like school and juvenile justice. Yes, we've been through the system. And um, it gave me a guidebook for crises and it was, it, it was an amazing eye opener for me. If you could, could you tell us a little bit about the, your own history and maybe your children's impact? Maybe just enough of their history for us to know. I, I want to be respectful of your privacy. Um, growing up, I had lots of energy. In high school, I graduated in the upper 5% of my school, went to college on a full ride. In fact, I started college when I was 16 or 17. I was in high school and college at the same time, kind of like Sheldon. Wow. <laughs> I never slept more than four hours a night. Never thought anything any different or anything about that. Um, I married Roger when I was 20 years old. He was a senior in college and we moved into married student um, housing. Weird things started happening. High levels of energy, spending, driving cars real fast. I had a little sports car back then. I started hallucinating. Hmm. How and did you I know that? I didn't know that. Oh. I, th I thought that the voices were real. I thought that the telephone ringing was real. I smelled smoke. I, I saw a person watching me. And I was having severe mood swings. I'd be depressed one day and the next day the mood, I, we call them mood slams. And then the very next day I have so much energy I couldn't sit still. I tried committing suicide six times. Whoa. And um, it, it was really, it was horrendous. Mm -hmm. And we had kids, my son was born at 22 and um, had my daughter four years later. And at this time, I was self-medicating. I am an alcoholic in recovery. And I had lots of pills. I had a doctor that would, every time I went and saw him, and I saw him once a week, twice a week, a psychiatrist, and he gave me pain pills, sleeping pills, you name it, I had it. And when I was 29, I ended up in a treatment center. And I was really, really, really angry because I was court-ordered to treatment. And um, my insurance company gave me 28 days and the court order was for five. And this is a big part of my story. I was mean, I was rotten and I yelled at everybody. And on the fifth day, the entire treatment team came to my room and they said, "Miss Stewart, you can sign yourself out. I was so excited. I reached over to pick up the pen and the pen was so heavy, I couldn't pick it up. Later on, a sponsor of mine told me that that was my first spiritual experience, um, my new program. I couldn't pick it up and I couldn't sign myself out. And so I turned around and looked at someone who is still a friend of mine today. And I said, I can't leave. And someone behind me said a dirty word <laughs> because I was mean and rotten. And I stayed for that 28 days and I've been sober ever since. And I've been sober for 25 years. 
great. And it took five more years for my mental illness to get into recovery. It was a hard, hard five years because my my crutches were gone. The pills were gone. The pills that I didn't need. Of course, I need psychiatric medication. But the pills I didn't need were gone and the alcohol was gone. But I stayed sober through it. Um, Roger and I actually split up for almost a year because... You know, I was sick and I was making our family sick, but we're back together. We're stronger than ever, but we had another battle, two more battles. Our children were mentally ill. And just because I was in recovery didn't mean that I knew everything about what my children needed. And that was a long battle. My husband found NAMI first. He found NAMI, oh goodness, he's been working for him 20 years, about 25 years ago, right around the time I got sober, he found NAMI. And that's how he was introduced. He told me a couple years later, he says, you need to go take this class that I took. He was a teacher for NAMI. I didn't take it under him. I took him under another teacher. I, that's how I was introduced to NAMI. The whole family is a NAMI family. That's amazing. Well, so can you tell me a little bit about your experience raising two children with mental health issues? And like, how old were they when you figured this out? My son was five when we knew we had something. He was in the hospital. He actually had a suicide attempt at five years old. Like, did he realize what he was doing? I don't think he knew what he was doing. And we took him to the hospital and the hospital told us that They were pretty sure he had bipolar disorder, but they didn't diagnose children that young. So he got a diagnosis of ADHD. So it was a rocky road. My daughter, um, being four years younger, didn't get a diagnosis until much older. And John, wow, it was a rocky road. He also has a co-occurring disorder. By age 13, he went to his first treatment center, and it was really hard on the whole family, holding the whole family together, but we were going to do it come heck or high water, Sure. and my daughter, sadly, she had a hard time because John was always in the limelight, to say, and um, she has bipolar disorder also. It it was a rough road for all of us. But what's happening now? My son is living with us. He's working full time. He's going to move out. He had to have a surgery and he didn't have insurance. So we he's been living with us for the past year almost so he could have that surgery. My daughter is married um, to a wonderful, wonderful guy. She and Breon, in fact, Breon... When Logan went to change her name, she's changed her name to Logan Stewart, our last name, Guarino. That's her last name. And Breon so respects us that he went with her and changed his last name to Breon Stewart Guarino. So he carries our last name also. I'm I'm trying not to cry because (laughs) it means so much to us. Well, that was an incredible acknowledgement. And recognition that he took that'll mm-hmm. stay with him forever. And it sounds like they're both 
doing well and living great lives, but I'm sure that the mental health is still something that they have to battle a little bit every day. All three of us. Right. And so what is the, how is it as a mother to deal with that? And then also to be juggling it for yourself as well. I am as stable as I will ever be. Great. I still hallucinate. I hear the telephone ring. I smell smoke. But when I hear the telephone ring, I just look at my smartwatch. And if it's lit up, I know it's ringing. If it's not lit up, I know it's not. Um, Very practical solution. Very practical solution. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have, I actually had a job at a hair salon. And what's your job there? Pick up the phone when it rings. And so it was that hair place, Denise speaking. How can I help you? Well, after I was there for a week, my um, hallucinations picked up that phone ring. And I I went to my boss and I said, Chris, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to quit. And she said, why? And I, I explained it to her and she said, come back tomorrow. I was like, but I can't. She says, no, come back tomorrow. So I went home, I came back the next day and there was a box wrapped up on the desk. I unwrapped it and it was a telephone that I could walk around with like I normally did. And it lit up when it rang. Oh, look at that. Yes. So when the telephone rang, if it was lit up, that hair place, Denise speaking, if it didn't light up, I just went about my business. Perfect. Worked there for five years. Oh, what a wonderful employer. Yes. (laughs) I mean, it is, it's the little things that make a difference. Yes, it is. How does that translate into wanting to volunteer and help others with it? Because it sounds to me like it would be difficult to deal with something for yourself while also helping others. For me, when they let me do the volunteer education position, it really gave me a purpose in life. I coordinate all the education classes, the family to family and the basics classes. I help with the helpline. I do a lot of things that um, they ask me to do. I'm a presenter for NAMI. I, um, I help with CIT, the crisis intervention team presentations for um, police officers and also for um, correctional officers. But the great thing about NAMI is, is if I notice I'm not doing well, I can say, hey, guys, I need a week, and I can back off a week. And then I just step right back in and get caught back up and keep on going. Great. If I had a a job that I was being paid for, I wouldn't be able to do that. Not in most cases that that I've heard of. Right. With my job, I collect all the data for the classes, and I report them to the deputy director, who is Roger, with that data, we send that information to the Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services. We have to report all that information, and I'm the conduit for that. NAMI is part of a national organization, right? NAMI Tennessee is part of NAMI National. Mm -hmm. What would you recommend for anybody? My guess is maybe check first to see if there's a NAMI chapter. But if not, then what do they do? 
You can call NAMI or call us. NAMI, if you're in NAMI, Tennessee, you can call 1-800-467-3589. That is our helpline number. It's also our office number. And what I do is I match people to resources. People call and say, I need help with housing for myself or for my son or my daughter or my friend. And I know how to help people get matched to resources for that. Or people might call and say, I don't have insurance and I need help getting uh, psychiatric care. There's resources for that. There's even resources that we have for people that are having issues with their mental health due to COVID. We, we're not a direct provider and we don't refer to doctors or psychiatrists, but we can get you to resources that can. We don't have a NAMI affiliate in every county, but we might could get you to someone close. We do have a NAMI in every state. So if somebody calls me from Georgia, I'll give you the number to NAMI Georgia. Could you tell us a little bit more about where you see the role of volunteering being in your life moving forward? It's my purpose. All right, let me put it to you this way. Three years ago, I retired. It lasted for two or three months. I don't remember. And they, it was the most miserable two or three months I ever had. Um, I had some health issues that I was dealing with and I thought, okay, it's time for me to retire and move on. And I have my own desk with my own everything. And while I was gone, Jeff Layden, our executive director, would not let anybody sit at my desk. Oh, perfect. He was right. Three, three months later, I was back. I just, I couldn't stay gone. It was, I'm very active in other organizations like my recovery organization. And um, I do things with friends. Um, my daughter one day told me, she goes, mom, I wish I could be an alcoholic like you. Oh, and I said, a- why, why would you say something like that, Logan? And she goes, because you have so many friends. Oh, you know, through NAMI and through my recovery organization and, you know, just people around me, I've been very blessed with a lot of friends. Oh, I'm so glad that is such an odd sentence to come from anyone. Yeah. (laughs) And um, I have about 350 teachers that volunteer underneath me. Wow. It's my job to set up classes And once the classes are set up, I talk to the teachers of those classes every week. I'm on the phone all the time. They're my friends. They're they're not business associates. They're people that I call friends. They all do that as a volunteer, and I really appreciate the time they put in. People are amazing. Yeah, they are. And it works both ways. I mean, it's so, you know, so often I think a lot of people just focus on the volunteer doing the work, but frankly, it feeds in the other direction as well. Um, it's a gift. It is to get to work with volunteers. It's amazing. It is. Are there any, I'll say, other parts of your story that maybe we haven't hit on yet? Maybe if you could talk about your marriage. I have a wonderful marriage. It went through some rocky times. I didn't know if we would survive my first year of sobriety, to tell you the truth. There were some very, very scary times. 
but Roger and I are best friends. You can ask him, if you ever meet him, ask him why I married him. And he will tell you I wanted red-haired babies. He's red-haired. I didn't get them. They're both blonde, but (laughs) we're best friends. We work together. We drive to work together. So, you know, we spend time together. We do everything together, um, but we do things apart. I have my recovery organization that I go to. He and his buddies every Friday get together and role play um, with little tiny dolls. He doesn't like me calling them dolls, but they look like dolls. So, <laughs> you know, we have healthy time apart. Um, I always take Thursday off. Thursday is my friend day and I have coffee with my friends. Even with COVID, we go outside and we sit in chairs outside and everybody brings their own coffee right now because we we're being careful. Social distancing apart and we get together in my backyard and I have this big dog. His name is L.A. I like him almost as much as I like my son. I call him the therapy dog because my friends call me up and they go, I'm having a really bad day. Can I come pet your dog? Oh, (laughs) it's like, don't you want to come talk to me? No, I just want to (laughs) pet your dog. (laughs) Are there any other, I'll say, moments that helped that specifically defined you or developed you? along the way? I had the greatest parents growing up. I still have the greatest parents. Now with COVID, I, I didn't get to see them for a long time, but I, I would, I just went down last week and saw them and they were the most awesome parents ever. They supported me and still support me in every endeavor I ever did. They, they graduated high school and got married and went to night school while we were kids. Wow. And got their college degrees and really impressed on us the importance of school. We're in a big Irish Catholic family. That was impressed on us. And mom was a um, substitute teacher. She did her student teaching at my high school. That's one way so, to keep tabs on your child. Yeah, she was the one that caught us skipping all the time. Oh, not good. <laughs> Not good. No, but she was great. Mom and dad, you know, they loved kids and they, that the house was open and they were always a part of it. And we traveled a lot too. When we were kids, we had a big camper and we, we traveled the United States. Wow. So it was a great childhood. That sounds wonderful. It was wonderful. Are there any, what I would call closing remarks from you. Just do it. Sorry, Nike, just do it. You know, we're all busy people. And I volunteer three days a week, sometimes two, sometimes five, depending on what's going on. But I have volunteers that help me one hour a week. I have volunteers that help me four hours a week. But it's a gift. And it doesn't need to be to NAMI. It can be to the Red Cross. It can be to your local church. It can be wherever. There is such a great need for help. Find some place that's your purpose. You will get more rewards than they will get from you, I think. What I get from NAMI is more than what I give because 
I wake up in the morning now and I go, I get to go to work. I don't wake up and go, oh, I got to go to work. It's I get to go to work. Some days are number crunching days. Some days are telephone days. Some days are supporting teacher days. It's a different thing every day. And I get thank you notes for my thank you notes. Yeah, I do. I get people that call me up and thank them for stalking them while they were teaching. I call it stalking, but, you (laughs) know. Yeah, that's not normal. (laughs) People, you know, people thank me because I call them every week. And, you know, when they teach a class, they're not alone because I walk with them. Mm -hmm. It's a reward. And I, I can't say enough. I don't know what I would do if I didn't have NAMI. And there are so many places that need help. It's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. I think you're fantastic, Denise. Thank you. you. Well, I've always known that since you came into my life. But yes, I appreciate this so much. And thank you for, you know, taking the chance with us on this new podcast. So, yeah, we're excited. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Denise. Tell Roger hello and Logan. I feel like I know her because of the picture that you sent. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And your son, please tell him hello. I'm glad for his uh, surgery. It sounds like he had it already. Yeah, he had it two months. Well, maybe even three months ago. Yeah. Yeah. But he's okay. Well, y'all made it through. We lived. We're still living together. And we haven't killed each other. <laughs> well, it's really good to get to chat with you face to face, virtually, yes. I know, but I mean. Absolutely. So thank you. Thank you so much. Tell everybody hello. And um, and we'll just keep you updated on the latest and how it all goes. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Doing Good is a 501c3 nonprofit and is run 100% by volunteers. So yes, we are volunteers highlighting volunteers to celebrate those who do good. Thank you for listening to the Doing Good podcast.